Hello and welcome to Scintillating Stories. In this show we read short stories by a variety of authors. Today we're reading one of my childhood favourites, a tale that shows us that our worth does not lie in our physical abilities. The Magician's Trap by Aileen Piper Good King Justin had a beautiful kingdom that stretched from the mountain to the sea. In it were dense forests and rich farms. Along the shore the fishermen sang as they brought in boatloads of fish every day. But the king was not happy. He had one great sorrow. His only son was not content to stay at home. Let the prince hear of a land that no one had explored, and he would be off at once to see it. Let him hear of a fierce beast that no one could capture, and he would not rest until he had dragged it home. The prince was called Harold the Daring. Not far from King Justin's shores was a rocky island ruled by a wicked magician whose name was Duke Rollo. Whenever the day was clear, the Duke would sit in his watchtower with one eye at his spyglass, peering greedily across the water at King Justin's lands. Ah, he would mutter, what a wealthy country that must be. How I wish I could get it for myself. But he could not, for although he had many soldiers, King Justin had still more, and although he had a great deal of magic power, he could use it only on his own rocky island or in the sea that surrounded it. There must be some way of getting rid of King Justin and his son without going to war, Duke Rollo said to himself. He frowned as he considered one plan after another. I think I should go over there and find out what they're like. That may give me a good idea. So he packed his bag with everything he might need, and down at the very bottom he hid his book of magic. The next morning he dressed himself as a farmer, and while it was still dark he took a small boat and rowed over to the mainland. He pulled the boat onto the shore and tied it under a clump of willows. Then he started walking to the city. All along the way the houses were decorated with flags. Hmm, said Duke Rollo to himself. I wonder why there are so many flags. But as no one was up yet he could not ask. The sun was just rising when the duke reached the castle gate. The gates were locked and guarded by two huge dogs wearing handsome gold collars with their names, Bruno and Juno, in red rubies. But the dogs were asleep. Duke Rollo took out his magic key and very quietly tried to open the lock. He turned and twisted it, but he had forgotten that he could not use his magic power beyond his own rocky island. He became very angry, and he shook the gate with all his might. The two dogs woke up and leapt against the gate. "'Good old Bruno,' said the Duke, holding out his hand. But Bruno growled and snapped at him. Juno curled her lips back and showed her sharp teeth. She barked fiercely. Duke Rollo moved back. "'I'll fix you,' he cried, picking up a thick stick. But just then he heard a soft voice saying, are you a stranger? Duke Rollo quickly dropped the stick into the bushes. Yes, my child, I've just walked over from my farm on the other side of the hills. Can you tell me what holiday this is in the city that all the flags are flying? Flags, said the girl. Are the flags flying? Certainly, said the Duke sharply. Didn't you see them as you came along? They're fluttering from every house. The girl shook her head. Alas, no, sir. I could not see them. I'm Elsa, the blind girl. But if the flags are out, I can tell you why. It means that our brave prince, Harold the Daring, has returned from another dangerous adventure. There's sure to be a parade, and you'll be able to see him and the king. Her thin fingers felt for a willow wand from a bundle at her feet, and she wove it in and out of the basket she was making. Indeed, no one could be more anxious to see the king and the prince than I am said the duke with a sly smile. Then the city bells began to ring. Windows and doors were thrown open. People appeared everywhere, lining the sides of the road, crowding on balconies, even sitting in the trees. They shouted merrily to each other and waved flags. Finally, a golden coach appeared, drawn by four white horses. How the people cheered. Long live the king! Hurrah for our hero, prince! Hurrah for Harold the Daring! Elsa pulled Duke Rollo's sleeve. 
What has he brought back this time? she asked. As if he had heard the question, the prince stood up in the coach. He held up the body of a great eagle with long, cruel claws and powerful wings. Elsa nodded when the duke told her. That dreadful bird has been carrying off live sheep from the farms in the hills. Did it not attack the animals on your farm? When he did not answer, she went on. Its home was in the mountains and no one dared climb after it. It was so swift and deadly. Did you know, stranger, that our prince is the most daring man in the world? Well, well, said Duke Rollo. So your prince is the most daring man in the world, is he? That is very interesting. Very. Now, if you'll excuse me, my dear, I think I'd better be going. The parade seems to be over, and I have some important matters to attend to. After he'd left Elsa, the duke hurried back to the bag he had hidden in the boat under the willows. He took out his book of magic and eagerly began to turn the pages. There were pages on witches and pages on mermaids. There were pages on lucky stones and pages on spells. There was one page he remembered on a magic pearl that grew inside a giant oyster at the bottom of the sea. Mmm, he murmured as he read. He rubbed his hands together in glee. This is the very thing. I'll try it out tomorrow. The next day he dressed himself in a rich travelling suit. He rode up to the palace gates on a beautiful black horse. He asked to see the king. A servant led the way to the throne where the king sat. The duke bowed low. Your Majesty, I am Duke Rollo from the rocky island to the west. I've come to congratulate your son on his many daring adventures. The king made the visitor welcome. I'm giving a feast today in order of my son's safe return. You must be my guest. I will have your place set right beside mine. My son and the nobles of my court will be glad to meet such a thoughtful neighbour. While servants carried in platters of delicious food, the duke was secretly admiring the richness of the great dining hall. He noticed the praise the nobles gave the smiling prince and listened to the prince's reply. Oh, it was nothing at all, the prince was saying. The mountain peaks were easy to climb, and the eagle was not as dangerous as we believed. At last the meal had ended. The king begged Duke Rollo to keep the golden dishes from which he had eaten as a gift, but the duke shook his head. I thank you, your majesty, but I am setting forth on a dangerous journey myself, and dare carry nothing with me except my sword and a bottle of sargasso tea. The prince leaned across the table. What are you talking about? he asked. Nothing, nothing, my son, said the king quickly. That is nothing but some new kind of tea. He turned to his musicians. Start the music, he commanded. Something loud and lively. I'm tired of all this talking. But the prince had already heard too much. What is this dangerous journey? he asked. On the far side of my rocky island, began the duke, where the water meets the sky, there is a part of the ocean called the Sargasso Sea. There, giant seaweed grows so tall that their leaves float on the surface. Sailors fear the place, for it is said that somewhere near the centre there is a whirlpool that sucks anything that drifts into it to the bottom of the sea. But I have learned that a giant oyster lives in a cave near this spot, and inside this oyster's shell there is a pearl as big as a hen's egg. Duke Rollo paused to see if his story had interested the king's son. "'Do tell us more!' exclaimed the prince. "'Well, this is no ordinary pearl,' the duke went on. "'Any person who can take this pearl from the oyster and return safely to land may make a wish, and that wish will come true. He might wish to be young, or handsome, or rich. As for me, I shall wish for a trip to the moon.' The prince's eyes were sparkling with excitement. What an adventure that would be, he cried. That's what I'll wish for, too, a trip to the moon. You surely mean a trip to the moon and back, said the poor king, looking very worried. It all sounds very silly to me. However, I'm sure our guest must be in a hurry to start. Fetch his horse at once. Someone might get to the oyster before him. Duke Rollo smiled. 
I'm not worried about that, King Justin, for if anyone takes the pearl, another one will appear. But it's unlikely that anyone will even get into the cave of the oyster. Many of the world's bravest men have tried, but not one has ever returned. They were drowned, of course, said the king. He spoke in a loud voice and looked straight at the prince. The duke laughed. No, indeed, your majesty, they were not drowned. Let me explain. You see... This pearl is guarded by an octopus, a dreadful monster with eight long arms. He has no power to harm those who do not fear him, but those who are frightened by his horrible appearance, he catches and changes into any sea creature that will amuse him. I can't wait to try, cried the prince. What is this sargasso tea? Duke Rollo shook his head. No, no he said. I should never have mentioned it. You are too young to attempt such a dangerous task. You would be sure to be frightened by the octopus, or else you would awaken the giant oyster, and it would snap its shell shut and hold you fast. No, my dear boy, stay home with your father where you are safe. But everything the duke said made the prince more determined to go. At last, Duke Rollo pretended he was sorry he had upset the king, thanked him for the invitation to the feast, and left, well pleased with the success of his plan. As soon as it was dark, he stole down to the sea. There he changed himself into a huge black octopus, and swam down to the cave of the giant oyster to wait for the prince. The prince would talk of nothing but the giant pearl. He gave his father no peace until, finally, the old king consented to the journey. The wisest men of the court were called in for advice. They knew how to make sargasso tea from the long yellow seaweed leaves that floated in the middle of the sargasso sea. This tea, they said, would make it possible for the prince to breathe underwater. But they shook their heads sadly as they spoke and begged him to forget the pearl. The journey was very dangerous. As usual, the prince only laughed at their fears. He ordered the servants to gather the leaves and brew the tea. He wanted to leave at once. Two days later, accompanied by a single boatman, he galloped down the highway to the shore. There on the sand sat Elsa, the blind girl, weaving baskets out of willow wands. "'Good morning, Prince Harold,' she called. Prince Harold was surprised. "'How did you know who I was?' he asked. Elsa smiled. "'By my ears,' she said. "'No one else in all the land travels as fast as you.' The prince laughed. "'Wish me luck, little Elsa,' he called over his shoulder. I'm going to the bottom of the Sargasso Sea to find a magic pearl and wish for a trip to the moon. Just think of it, a trip to the moon. Then he was gone. Days passed and everywhere she went, Elsa listened for the sound of the prince's galloping horse. To everyone she met, the farmers and the bakers, the fishermen and the butchers, she asked the same question. Is there any news of our prince, Harold the Daring? But there was no news. And then... One day, the church bells began to toll slowly, as if some disaster had occurred, and the cannon on the sea wall boomed. "'What's the matter? What's happened?' cried Elsa. But the crowds hurrying along the roads were buzzing with worried talk, and no one stopped to answer her. Elsa thought that everyone had passed. Then she heard the tapping of a cane and slow steps, and she called out again. "'I can tell you.' said an old man in a shaky voice. Yes, I can tell you. I was on the seashore mending my fishing nets when the prince's servant reached land. He was all alone and trembling so much that they had to lift him out of the boat. Did he say what had happened to our prince? asked Elsa. Alas, no. He just stared around him with his mouth open. He could not say a single word. In the end they had to carry him to the road. Someone put him on a farmer's wagon and they all hurried off to the castle. Tears rolled down Elsa's cheeks. He must have drowned, she cried. Our brave prince must be dead. No, no, the octopus that guards the giant oyster will have changed him into some sea creature. Did you not hear about the stranger, Duke Rollo, who appeared at the castle on the day of the big feast in honour of the prince? Elsa wiped her tears and frowned. I remember a stranger at the king's gate. Bruno and Juno were barking at him. Tell me more. Oh, it's no secret, continued the old man. 
for both the servants and the nobles have talked of nothing else but the mysterious duke, and how his story of the magic pearl seemed to cast a spell over our prince, and he told her all that he had heard. It became very lonely for Elsa down by the sea. For some strange reason the fishermen who used to sing so merrily in their boats came no more, and when Elsa went to sell her baskets at the highway she found that people were always grumbling about some new law that was making them too poor to buy even a basket. One day the king's messenger came riding along, blowing a trumpet and calling upon all the people to hear the king's proclamation. A crowd gathered and hurried along the road to the palace. Elsa could hear them and she longed to know what was happening. Oh dear, she sighed, sitting down on a large round stone to eat her lunch. I do wish someone would lead me to the palace. I will, said a voice beneath her, if you would please get off my back. Elsa jumped up in surprise. Ugh, groaned the voice. Elsa ran her fingers over the stone she'd been sitting on and found that it was really a large turtle. Oh, I'm sorry, she cried. Did I hurt your back? The turtle gasped for a moment, then muttered, Nothing broken, I guess, but don't let it happen again. Oh, I'll be very careful in the future, said Elsa, but how could you lead me to the palace with such crowds on the roads? When there are only a few people about, I can get there myself. Someone will always help me if I stay off the main path, but today I dare not go alone. That's easily arranged, said the turtle. There's a small hole in my shell. Tie a piece of string through it and hold on to the other end. Mind you, we shall not travel very fast. You're very kind, said Elsa. When can we start? Well, replied the turtle, as soon as I've had a bite to eat, all I could find this morning were a dozen grasshoppers. Tasteless things, grasshoppers. Have you some kind of fish there in your lunchbox? Only a sardine sandwich, said Elsa. Do take it. Mmm said the turtle. He gobbled it up to the last crumb. That was quite a treat. Now, tie the string and we'll be off. They started out, keeping well to the side of the road so they would not be trampled on. How the people stared to see a turtle leading a girl. Those who knew Elsa called out to her. An old fisherman friend stopped to talk to her. Oh, please tell me how the king has angered the people, begged Elsa. Oh, I know all about it, answered the fisherman. I had the story from my cousin, who's the king's chief cook. It seems that one morning his majesty strolled into the royal kitchen just as my cousin was about to pop a large silver salmon into the oven. That's a handsome fish, said the king. Indeed, it's the prince of fishes, said the cook. The king turned very pale at these words and stared at the salmon in horror. Good gracious, I should have thought of that before. Do remember that the octopus can change his captives into any form that he chooses. That handsome salmon might be the prince. It might be my son, cried the king in a terrible voice. And for that reason he at once made a law that until the prince is found, anyone who fishes in the sea will be put in prison. Ah, me, what a lot of trouble that young man has caused. The fisherman sighed and was about to move on when Elsa asked, but why are the crowds hurrying to the palace today? Because the king has made a proclamation promising twelve barrels of gold and half his kingdom to the man who can go and get the magic pearl from the giant oyster, and then wish for the prince to be restored to his natural shape. Those who want to try must prove their courage before the king. You better hurry, Elsa, or you'll never get close enough to hear what goes on. I must hurry myself, or there'll be no seats left. The fisherman was right. By the time Elsa and the turtle arrived, the palace grounds were crowded. I can't see a thing down here but feet, grumbled the turtle, and I've been stepped on twice already. Now what are we going to do? Let's stand inside the palace grounds. I'll ask someone to lift you onto a flat spot on the stone wall so that you can see over the heads of all the people and tell me what happens, said Elsa. In the centre of the crowd, a large circle of lawn had been kept clear and a grandstand had been built. The king and his nobles sat under a purple awning at the front, while the ordinary people filled the rest of the seats. Those who could not get into the grandstand pressed as close to the circle as possible. When the king raised his hand, the herald blew a loud blast on his trumpet. Everyone was silent as the herald began to read the king's proclamation. 
His gracious majesty, King Justin, hereby proclaims to give half his kingdom and twelve barrels of gold to the man who brings back the magic pearl and makes a wish in the king's presence for Prince Harold the Daring to be restored to his natural shape. Those who wish to try must first prove their courage before the king. The king will provide the successful ones with a bottle of sargasso tea and a boat for the journey. Let those who wish to prove their courage now step before the king. The people whispered to each other that the king was indeed offering a marvellous prize, but out of all the crowd, only two men stepped forward. The first was a proud knight, dressed in a suit of polished steel. He bowed low before the king. "'What makes you feel that you are brave enough to do this dangerous task?' asked the king. "'Your majesty,' replied the knight, "'any of your soldiers can fight with one sword.' He drew out a sword with his right hand and flashed it this way and that. But I can fight using two swords at once, one in each hand. He drew a second sword with his left hand and twirled it in the air as well. Mm, That's very good, said the king. But that is not all, continued the knight. Watch this. He pressed the button on top of his steel helmet and instantly four sharp blades sprang up on it and began spinning like a windmill. "'Now,' said the knight, "'let ten of your strongest guards try to overcome me, your majesty.' The king ordered ten powerful soldiers to try their strength against the knight. The knight sprang at once into the centre of the group, rushing against them with his head down like a bull. The blades on his head and each hand flashed everywhere at once. The soldiers were so startled that they could not think what to do, and soon they were forced to run for their lives. "'You see?' (sighs) panted the knight. He took off his helmet and mopped his head with his handkerchief. Your Majesty's men had twenty arms altogether. The fearful octopus has only eight. He will be powerless against me. The king blinked his eyes. They had been dazzled by the glittering blades. Give the knight a bottle of sargasso tea and bid him wait until we see what the second man can do, he ordered. The knight returned to the grandstand. The herald blew another blast on his trumpet. His gracious majesty will now judge the courage of the second man, he announced. The people stretched their necks to see the second contestant, a lion tamer dressed in a white satin suit trimmed with gold braid. He was leading a pair of white horses pulling a large cage full of snarling lions. When he reached the king, he bowed politely. Your majesty, What octopus could be as dangerous as ten lions, yet I can make them fear and obey me? You will see that I carry no sword, only this whip. Now watch me closely. Two men carried in chairs and placed them in a large ring. Other men set up ladders and a high wire. Then, at a signal from the lion tamer, one of the men unbolted the door of the cage. The lions sprang out one by one and crouched, glaring at the crowd. Their master snapped his long whip twice through the air. It did not touch any of the animals, but it made a loud, sharp noise. At once the lions began to trot around the circle in single file. The lion tamer snapped his whip again, and each lion jumped up on a chair and sat down. "'Your Majesty,' said the man, "'in order for you to understand how much courage it takes to do this work, I should like you to sit here beside me while I show you my power.' The king turned very pale, but the eyes of all his people were upon him. He dared not let them suspect that he was afraid. He commanded that his royal chair be moved into the centre of the ring of lions, and there he sat, trying hard to look calm. The lion tamer began to put his animals through their tricks. He called them by name, Lily, Billy, Nipper and Ripper, and so on. He cracked his whip, and ten great beasts climbed the ladders and walked across the high wire. They jumped through the hoops and danced on their hind legs, but each time they came near where the king sat and saw how plump he was, they licked their lips hungrily. Their whiskers twitched and their tails lashed from side to side. It seemed to the king that they were creeping closer and closer. When one roared, they all roared, and they roared so loudly that the ground shook. The king's chair shook. In fact, the king shook too— and after the dreadful sound had died away, he happened to look at his knees. They were trembling so much that he quickly pulled his purple robe across his lap. 
He called the lion-tamer, who came and leaned over his chair. "'What makes your lions look at me so hungrily?' asked the king. "'Why, it's the shortage, of course,' replied the lion-tamer. "'What shortage?' asked the king. "'The shortage of fish. This stupid new law, you know,' began the lion-tamer. Then he clapped his hands over his mouth in horror. "'Oh, I beg your pardon, your majesty. I didn't mean—down, ripper!' He cracked his whip just in time, for the biggest lion of all was about to take a mouthful of the king's shoulder. The king stared wildly about. He spied the knight, resting comfortably under the purple awning. "'Stop the show!' commanded the king. "'I've just decided to test the courage of the knight further. Come here, sir knight, and stand in front of me.' With the knight between him and the lions, the king was at last able to sit in his chair without trembling and judge the skill and bravery of the lion-tamer. At the end of the performance, the king stood up and said, "'Both the knight and the lion-tamer have proved that they have great courage. The knight shall go first and try to restore the prince. If he fails, the lion-tamer shall go next.' The people cheered as the king gave this decision. Then, just as he was about to dismiss the court, the king heard loud, angry voices at the edge of the crowd. He turned and saw three of his guards struggling to hold back a man who was trying to force his way into the ring. "'Who is that fellow? Bring him before me!' ordered the king. The crowd burst out laughing when they saw the strange-looking man who came striding along between the guards. He was tall, very tall, and very skinny. He was dressed in a rich suit of brown velvet trimmed with ruffles of lace but the jacket of the suit was so short that it did not reach the top of his trousers, and the cuffs of the sleeves were halfway to his elbows. His green hat had a long curled feather at the top. It was too big and kept sliding over one eye. His shoes were of soft gold leather, but there was a hole cut in the end of each one to make room for his big toe. The stranger plucked off his hat and clasped it over his ribs, bowing before King Justin. But before he could speak, one of the guards whispered in the king's ear, "'Your Majesty, this man is a thief. "'The suit he wears was stolen from one of your nobles. "'The hat belongs to the Lord of the Treasury, and the shoes—' "'The king was staring at the golden shoes with amazement. "'And the shoes are mine!' he thundered. "'What is this robber doing here? "'Why is he not locked up in jail?' "'Your Majesty, I am not in jail, "'because the jailers could not keep me in. "'I'm a slippery fellow, you see. "'The reason I'm here is to beg your permission "'to try and win the twelve barrels of gold "'by restoring your son.' "'You?' spluttered the king. "'A thief!' "'Why not?' asked the thief. "'What you want is a man who can steal a pearl from an oyster "'without waking it. "'Who could do that better than I?' "'As he was speaking, he pulled out of his pockets two golden dog collars, "'one marked Bruno,' and the other, Juno. He swung them around the tip of his finger. Oh! cried the king. How did you get those collars? Have you killed my faithful watchdogs? Certainly not, said the thief. Look! He put two fingers between his lips and whistled. In a moment, Bruno and Juno came bounding into the ring, jumping up on the thief and licking his hands. Just a little sampling of my skill, said the thief, laying the dog collars in the king's hand. "'Your Majesty, you couldn't find a better man than I for this task. "'I pray you, let me try to win this fortune. "'I should like to restore your son to you "'and become an honest man myself at the same time.' "'The King rubbed his chin and looked thoughtful. "'And why not?' he said to himself. "'Not many men want to risk their lives for the Prince after all.' "'The crowd waited without moving until the King spoke.' "'If the knight and the lion-tamer fail, you shall have your chance,' he decided. "'But you must promise to go to prison and stay there until I send for you.' "'Fair enough,' said the thief, sweeping the Lord of the Treasury's plumed hat in a deep bow, and then clapping it down over his ears as the guards came to lead him away. "'That's all,' said the turtle to Elsa. "'The people are leaving.' "'Please have someone lift me down, and I shall lead you home.' Elsa and the turtle were at the seashore the next morning when the knight set out in a small boat. The king, the nobles of the court, and hundreds of people stood watching him. They waved and shouted, "'Good luck!' until he was only a bright speck far out in the water. Then they turned and went away.
After they had gone, Elsa said, Oh dear, I do wish we could find out what happens to him. Friend Turtle, could you follow the light and come back and tell me? Well, yes, I think I could, said the turtle. I can swim quite fast, as a matter of fact, but it's a long trip. I'll tell you what, if the night fails, I shall stay in the cave of the giant oyster until the lion tamer comes. Then if he fails, I'll wait for the thief to have his turn before I come back and report to you. He crawled awkwardly over the pebbles. Goodbye, he called, then slipped silently into the sea. A week passed and the knight did not return. The lion tamer came down to the shore. The king and the people wished him luck, but he did not return either. Finally, the thief was taken out of jail and brought down to the sea by the prison guards. The king was too ill with worry to be there. The crowd stood sad and silent, watching the thief wave his feathered hat as the little boat set out. The blind girl sat on the shore every day, weaving her willow baskets and listening for the sound of a boat returning. She thought, surely the thief would come back with the pearl. But he did not. By the time she had made twenty-three large baskets, she began to think that even the turtle was gone forever. But one evening, just after the sun had set, when the sand and the wind were growing cold, she heard a voice. "'Oh, turtle!' cried Elsa. "'You're safe, and you did not forget me after all. Do tell me quickly, what happened?' "'Wait a moment,' panted the turtle. "'I've been swimming a long, long time.' I'm tired and hungry. Elsa felt in her lunchbox and found a biscuit. The turtle snapped it down in one bite. Then he began his story. It turned out just as I expected, he said. He sounded quite discouraged. The foolish knight forgot that his coat of steel, his helmet, his swords would be very heavy at the bottom of the sea. When the octopus darted out at him, the knight tried to swing his swords, but he could hardly lift his arms. He tried to run, but he could not move his feet. He became frozen with fear. Then the octopus pounced on him and changed him into a swordfish, a two-headed swordfish. The turtle paused in his story and moved about angrily. His shell rattled against the stones. And then, while the unfortunate swordfish was floundering around, catching his two sword noses in the seaweeds, the octopus became Duke Rollo. The wicked magician just laughed at the poor creature and said, No one will be able to beat me. Duke Rollo, Elsa gasped. The one who rules the rocky island out there in the sea. That's right, the turtle agreed. And the Sargasso Sea lies on the other side of his island. That's why it took me so long to swim back. Elsa sighed. I understand. But the lion tamer who went next, what happened to him? He seemed very brave. Brave enough on land, replied the turtle, but he was counting on the sharp crack of his whip to scare the octopus away. He lashed about with all his might, but he only churned up a great cloud of bubbles. Then, when he saw the octopus coming closer and closer, he became frightened, and the wicked magician turned the lion tamer into a sea lion. And the thief? asked Elsa. What became of him? He started off quite well said the turtle. He wrapped himself up in long strings of seaweed and floated by so quietly that the octopus did not notice him. He entered the cave and began to search for the giant oyster, but... The turtle's voice had become slow and sad. Now he stopped. But what? cried Elsa. You must tell me! But the thief did not know that inside the cave it would be very dark. He could see nothing at all. He became clumsy and bumped against the oyster. It snapped its shells together. He tried to pry them apart, but the magic pearl was locked away from his clever fingers. Then he knew the octopus was coming, and he too became frightened. Oh dear, oh dear, whispered Elsa. The turtle continued. Then the octopus became Duke Rollo again and changed the thief into an eel, a long slippery eel. The duke laughed and said, 
This is the best joke of all. No one else will dare to try and save the prince. Soon the old king will die of grief, and I shall have no trouble taking his kingdom. Stop, stop, cried Elsa. Don't tell me any more. I cannot bear to think of our poor prince and these brave men in the power of the duke forever. I cannot bear to think of our good king sorrowing for his son until he dies, and then the wicked duke rolling over our land. There must be someone who can get the magic pearl. There must be someone. All night long, Elsa lay awake on her bed of straw. She thought and thought. In the morning, she jumped up quickly, dressed and made her way carefully to the beach. She called to the turtle. My friend, please lead me to the palace. I know someone else who will try and save the prince. They set off at once. The turtle waddled as fast as he could. When they reached the castle, Elsa asked to speak to the king. He's ill and can see no one, said the servant rudely. He began to shut the door. It's about Prince Harold the Daring, Elsa said quickly. When he heard this, the servant led Elsa and the turtle to the king, who was sitting in his great armchair with his head drooping on his chest. What do you want, my child? Why do you speak of my son? Do you not know that he is lost forever? The king's voice trembled, and he brushed a tear from his cheek. There is no one in all the kingdom who dares to get the magic pearl to free him now. But there is someone else who will try. That's what I came to tell you. The king sat straighter. Who is it? Who will go? He asked. I will, said Elsa. You? A blind girl? cried the king. What foolish talk is this? Go home and weave your baskets. Oh, how I wish you would never come and raise my hopes in vain. But Elsa dropped to her knees and clasped her hands. She begged the king to let her go. Please, please hear me, your majesty. This turtle will go with me and lead me. Because I'm blind, I shall not see or fear the octopus. He will have no power to harm me, and the darkness in the cave will not bother me, since all my life my fingers have taken the place of my eyes. And you are willing to risk your life after all these others have failed? For twelve barrels of gold and half my kingdom? No, your majesty, I care nothing for the reward. I shall go so the prince may return before you die of grief and before the wicked magician Duke Rollo seizes your kingdom. Duke Rollo? Seize my kingdom? What do you mean? gasped the king. Tell me all you know. When Elsa had finished, the king spoke gravely. This is indeed a bad situation. It seems I have no choice but to let you go. I'll have a man with a boat and a bottle of sargasso tea waiting for you on the beach at dawn tomorrow. Do be careful, Elsa. After they had left the king, Elsa and the turtle went home to get rested before starting on their dangerous journey. Early the next morning, they set out. The king's servant rowed the boat past Duke Rollo's rocky island. Far out at sea they reached a place where tangled webs of seaweed lay on the surface of the water. We're near the whirlpool, said the turtle. Drink your sargasso tea so you can breathe under the water. Elsa drank it. We shall get out here, said the turtle. Hold on to the edge of my shell, Elsa. Hold on tight. There were two splashes as the turtle and Elsa dropped over the side of the boat. Quickly, the servant rode away. The turtle swam closer and closer to the whirlpool, with Elsa clinging to his back. Ready? asked the turtle. Here we go. Down, down, sliding, twisting, gurgling, round and round. Thump. Suddenly they were dumped on a pile of sand at the bottom of the sea. Elsa's head was spinning. The turtle pulled himself inside his shell. They did not move for quite a while. Finally, they recovered from the shock of their trip through the whirlpool. It was very cold and dark at the bottom of the sea. Come, Elsa, said the turtle. We must not wait any longer. Duke Rollo has spies everywhere. No doubt he has heard that we are on our way. Elsa took hold of the string, and the turtle began to swim ahead of her. 
In the water he was no longer slow, and the girl had to walk quickly to keep up with him. Even so, it took a long time to reach the cave of the oyster. Duke Rollo had indeed heard of their arrival, and he was in a great rage. When he saw them coming, he changed himself into the octopus and waved his eight arms at Elsa. "'Why, she's only a girl,' he said to himself. "'I'll make short work of her.' Elsa walked steadily on. She knew the octopus was there, curling and uncurling his arms around her. The water swirled and bubbles burst in her ears. "'Don't trouble to make yourself more fearful than usual,' she said. "'You're wasting your time, for I'm blind.' Duke Rollo remembered that he had seen Elsa beside the king's gate. He became angrier than ever, but he was unable to harm her, for she was not afraid. So Elsa and the turtle went safely past their enemy and entered the cave of the giant oyster. Once inside, they had to move cautiously because of the darkness. Faintly, the turtle could see the giant oyster lying in the sand. Its upper shell was open like the lid of a huge jewel box. He crept closer and stretched out his neck for a better look. The edge of each shell was as hard and sharp as a knife. Inside was the body of the oyster, pale and soft like grey jelly. A current of water kept flowing over it. Now and then a grain of sand would drift inside. When this happened, the sleeping creature would feel a slight tickle. It would half awaken and its upper shell would quiver as if it were about to snap shut. Then the current would carry the bit of sand away and the shell would be still once again. The turtle watched until the oyster was fast asleep. The oyster is right in front of you now, Elsa, he whispered. Take care. Elsa crept forward slowly on her hands and knees, feeling her way until she touched the shell. She slipped her fingers inside and ever so softly slid them around the smooth lining. Once the body of the oyster quivered slightly, and the sharp lid over her head dropped down a little, but her fingers were as soft and smooth as silk, and the oyster slept on, almost as if her touch had soothed it. Suddenly Elsa felt the magic pearl, round and slippery. Her heart began to beat faster, but she must not hurry. She must not jerk the pearl loose. Slowly she curved the tips of her fingers around it and moved it so gently that it seemed almost to glide out of the shell. Still on her hands and knees, Elsa moved away. At last her head and shoulders were safely outside the shell. Then her foot struck the oyster. The shells clamped shut. A powerful gush of water struck the turtle and rolled him over. Elsa felt a stab of pain in her ankle and was held fast. For a moment, she lay motionless, feeling faint and ill. Then she raised her head and whispered, What's happened? I can't move. The turtle, who had hidden his head in horror, now peered through the cloudy water. The sand slowly settled. Ah, oh, he sighed with relief. It's not as bad as I feared. I thought your whole foot would be caught but that rush of water must have saved you. Your ankle has been cut and is bleeding, but it's only the hem of your dress that keeps you a prisoner. Don't move, I can bite through it. As he was snipping off and spitting out bits of cloth, Elsa felt something cold and slimy slither against her arm and the hand that held the magic pearl. Is there a sea serpent in here? She asked, gripping the pearl tightly. No, replied the turtle. He spit out the last bit of cloth. That was an eel. Was it the eel under Duke Rollo's spell, do you think? Asked Elsa. Who can tell? Said the turtle. There are many eels in the sea. Come now, you're free. Elsa put her arms around the turtle, and he swam up through the cold green water, up through the forest of giant seaweeds until the water began to grow warmer, up and up to the sunlight and the fresh, sweet air. Elsa and the turtle sat resting on the beach. She held the pearl in her hand. Though she could not see how brightly it shone, she could feel its wonderful smoothness. I feel we have been away a long time, she said. As soon as you feel able to go on, I should like to go to the king and make my wish in his presence. 
The turtle slid off his rock and crawled over to her. Is your ankle very sore? Should you not wait a day or two for it to heal? It's nothing, she said. Let's go at once. Listen to me carefully, Elsa, said the turtle. You can make but one wish on the magic pearl. The rich reward the king offered was more than enough to satisfy the knight or the lion tamer or the thief, but it's not what you need at all. Why do you not wish for a new pair of eyes? Why try and save this foolish prince who has caused so much trouble? Oh, no, no, cried Elsa. I cannot use this wish for myself. But since I can use the magic pearl only once, I must be careful how I word my wish. Lead me to the castle, my good friend, and do not mind if I am silent as we travel there. I must think. At the castle, King Justin was lying on his couch, He was wrapped in a fur robe, although the day was warm. He could hear the angry shouts of a crowd of fishermen who had gathered outside. They had come to force him to let them fish in the sea again. Suddenly a stone crashed through the window, and one of the royal guards went out to arrest the man who had thrown it. "'Ah, me!' groaned the king. "'What a dreadful day this is! What will my unhappy people do next?' And then... He rubbed his eyes and raised himself on one elbow, for coming towards him were Elsa and the turtle. Elsa, my child, you're safe. You did not go down to the sea after all. I should never have agreed to let you go. If you too had been trapped down there, I should never have forgiven. He stopped. Slowly he got up off the couch. His eyes were shining, for the blind girl was opening the small leather pouch that hung around her neck. There was a little secret smile on her lips as she put her hand inside the bag. Elsa drew out the pearl, as big as a hen's egg it was, and glowing like a small full moon. And now, your majesty, she said, I shall make my wish. She spoke slowly and thoughtfully. Oh, magic pearl, I wish that all those who have been captured by the wicked Duke Rollo may be brought here and restored to their rightful shapes once more. There was a dazzling flash and a loud explosion, and Elsa's hand felt hot and empty. For the first time, she was frightened. Oh, Turtle, Turtle, where are you? She called, pulling on his string. But there was nothing at the end of the string. She put her hands down to find him, but instead of his stony shell, her fingers felt the curly hair of a man. Someone was kneeling at her feet. The king gave a great shout of joy. Elsa, Elsa, your turtle was my son! The prince rose and took Elsa by the hand. Do not feel lonesome or afraid, dearest Elsa, he said. I shall never leave you. You shall be my princess and live with me here in the palace. At that moment, through the broken window, came the sound of cheers. Then someone called out, Fish! The king has sent us a gift of fish! The king and the prince led Elsa to the window. In the courtyard below was a strange sight. The fishermen were standing in a circle, staring and laughing. Flapping miserably in their midst were a swordfish with two heads, a sea lion, and an eel. Wait! cried the prince from the balcony. Do not harm them. They are under the spell of the magician Duke Rollo. It's our prince, Harold the Daring, they shouted. They forgot that they had been angry. They waved their caps and cheered. Then the prince held up his hand and the noise stopped. He pointed to the swordfish. Its two heads had vanished and in their place was the head of a man. Before the astonished crowd, the swordfish gave one last jerk and changed into the night. His coat of steel was rusty and the blaze on his helmet no longer turned in the wind, and when he tried to bow to the king and the prince, his suit of armour clanked and squeaked. By this time the sea lion was trying to stand on its hind flippers. Twice it tumbled over on its back, but on the third try the flippers shrank into feet, and there stood the lion tamer. His white satin suit was green with mould, and when he bowed to the king, three minnows fell out of his pocket. And then the eel was wriggling alone on the ground. Once it twisted itself into a knot in its excitement and had quite a job untying itself. But finally it too changed into its rightful form and became the thief. His clothes were full of holes and he had lost his feathered cap. 
A fringe of seaweed hung from his jacket and sleeves, and there was something odd about his face. Everyone noticed as he looked up at the king that one of his cheeks was swollen as if he had the mumps. The fisherman backed away from him. Instead of bowing, the thief put his hand to his mouth and very carefully took something out of it. And then he opened his hand for all to see. There on his palm was a second magic pearl, as big as a hen's egg and glowing like a small full moon. Oh! Everyone gasped. Your Majesty, began the thief, ever since the unlucky day when Duke Rollo changed me into an eel, I've been waiting for another chance to take a pearl from the giant oyster. When the brave blind girl succeeded where the rest of us had failed, I had an idea. The Duke, who was the octopus, of course, had gone back to his island in a terrible rage because she had escaped. So there was no one watching me. By this time the giant oyster was used to having me swim about and paid no attention to me. I searched for a stone that I could carry in my mouth and managed to slip it on the edge of the oyster's bottom shell, close to the hinge. Try as it might, the creature could not close, and there was just room for me to slip in and grab this second pearl. Still, I could not make a wish unless I got back to the shore. It seemed as if I might die in the sea after all. Until today. Thanks to Elsa. We were saved. So now I'm able to make my wish. And it is this. Oh, magic pearl, I wish that Elsa may have a pair of perfect eyes. Again there was a dazzling flash and a loud explosion. I can see! I can see! cried Elsa. How beautiful everything is! More wonderful than I ever dreamed! The wedding of Elsa and the prince caused great joy through all the land. After the ceremony, Elsa asked the king to divide the twelve barrels of gold equally among their special guests, the knight, the lion tamer, and the thief. From that time on, the prince was glad to remain at home and look after the affairs of the kingdom, so he was no longer Harold the Daring, but Harold the Stay-at-Home, and everyone was happy. Except for Duke Rollo the wicked magician. When he returned to the cave as an octopus and found that his victims had escaped, he became so furious that he forgot where he was and what form he was in. He thrashed about with his eight arms, knocking away the stone the eel had placed at the hinge of the oyster. Down crashed the top shell. The magician was trapped. And there he is to this day. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to suggest or submit a short story or a subject you'd like us to cover, then contact us through our Facebook page or Twitter and subscribe if you would like to hear more. This has been a Yorick Radio production. <laughs>